Okay, welcome back to the show. And I have a very, very special guest on the show today, Mr. Dangerous Danny Davis. All thanks to Mario Mancini. I know you want to you want to start the show off by saying a few words about Mario. Oh, one of the best, man. He was the best jobber in WWF history, in my opinion. I worked with him, I worked against him, and now he's a teaching, he's teaching wrestling. Yeah. And, yeah. Did you and, see him recently? Yeah, he, he, he had a little cameo on Vice TV recently. Did you see him? Yes, isn't that something? He lives in his mother's basement. Oh, wait till I see this guy. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna love that one. You know he's gonna laugh at that anyway. Yeah, he'll be falling out of his chair. <laughs> Now, a character Look, Danny, like him, he has some stories, boy. He is a great storyteller, and he's like the, he's the most viewed podcast on this channel because of his stories. Really? Mm-hmm. Do they know half of it is bullshit? <laughs> <laughs> no, no I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm having fun. <laughs> oh, the, that was the, the roast of Mario Mancini there. There you go. All right. Yeah. So what do we have tonight, my so, friend? What do we have? Well, I tell you why we're going to start, because we are going to start on this on your website, which we talked about um, over the phone last night. And just obviously your book is on there and you've got various different other things. I can just scroll through it here. This one. And you've yes, got I so obviously the, your uh, book there. The book, I have the mask. From Mr. X uh, is not the original mask. We had some made up. And uh, it, that's on uh, dangerousdannydavis.com. And you'll go to that website and you can look through the items there. And I will send you an autographed book or picture or whatever you want. Of course, there's uh, the prices are on there. Yeah. And of course, the book's been out for a few years now. And what's the reception been like um, oh, for the book? Very good, very good. We're thinking about we may even do a different cover and add a little more to the the next book because it's such a, a hit. The book itself is not a book per se about wrestling as much as it is about uh, an inspiration. For others to live their dreams and when you read this book you'll find that i had a pretty rough upbringing i was a street kid and i had a dream and that dream was to one day be in the wrestling ring back then it was wwwf with vince's father but i knew in my heart i was just a little 135 pound guy and i was uh, 15 years old when i first saw it. but i knew in my heart that one day that it, it would take place it would happen and I paid dues, and uh, I worked hard, and this book was designed to uh, inspire young and old to live their dreams because you only get one time at the plate, as it were, and a lot of people live their whole life with dreams and never fulfill them, and it, it comes at a cost, and it always does, but brother, they always ask me, what's it like? Unless you've done it, I can't explain it. Yeah. And of course, you had to pay a lot of dues to get to where you are 
in the WWF as well. Like, and how how did you end up working? I suppose for the the biggest company in the world. It's I started out with Vince's father. Okay, uh, and uh, I, I I would put up uh, I would go into an arena early. I would put up the ring. I would set up chairs. I would do concessions, and at the end of the I would referee. And at the end of the night, I would take it all down, pack it in a truck, and drive two or three hundred miles, be there for the next day, and do it all over again. This was on a, on a daily basis, weeks at a time, uh, and uh, it was it was a lot of work. And that's what it takes: dedication, a lot of work, a lot of hard work. And uh, but that dream is there; it's at the end. You know it's there, and you you're working for it. And again, like you just said. It takes a lot. It's a lot of sacrifices. Uh, you miss so much uh, uh, around your people, your, your family. Uh, you're, you're out on Christmas. You're out on Thanksgiving. You miss birthdays. You miss your baby's first step. Uh, troubles, uh, sickness, deaths, and, and it's uh, a hard road. But if you want that, it's your dream. It's yours. It's nobody else's. You can, you can achieve it. And it takes a lot of work. And it takes a lot of sacrifices, as we both pointed out. And I hate to keep saying that, but that's what it's all about. And people have uh, uh, achieved their dreams, and uh, I, and they should take pride in that because it's an awful thing to, again, live a whole life with a dream and never achieve it. And it's, sometimes it comes; it's too late, uh, whether it's an accidental death or some an injury or whatever it is. And you say, shit, I should have done this. I should have done it. And if you find a partner that will support you, it makes it even sweeter. And me coming from a poor background, was and that, I mean poor, yeah. it's, it's, it's even even greater. You know, your, your family sees it, you, you, and they know what you went through. And in your heart, you know what you went through, and you take advantage of it, and you enjoy it. Was that the worst thing about being on the road, just being away from family and friends? Well, uh, I, I think if you talk to anyone that's in the wrestling business, even today, I think you'll find that that's the worst thing. Uh, you know, life deals your hands. Uh, if you have children, they get sick. And God forbid something worse happens. Uh, the car crashes. Uh, your mother, your father, your sisters, your brothers, you know, something happens to them. You've got to be here at this arena. A wise man told me, who trained me, the man who trained me, Chief J. Strongbow, said, listen, kid, one thing you have to remember. These people are poor people who come to see you, or they've given their last dime or last dollar to come and see you wrestle. You have to be there. Every night you have to be there. So if you're not willing to do that, you know, pack your bag and go home. And when you're out there, yeah. you give 100%. Yeah. 100% every night you've got to give 100%, whether there's 10 people there or 10,000 people there. And I lived by that. And I took advantage of that uh, uh, knowledge. And I was there every night. And yes, the sacrifices were great. But the end result was I can look you in the eye and the world knows. I mean, the whole world knows the dangerous Danny Davis. They, I, they know who I am. They know what we, we've done, what we did. And they know that I was there every night and giving them their 100%. And that makes me feel pride. And everybody on that card did the same thing. So to answer to yeah. your question, yes, that was the hardest part, but we did it. And it was for the fans, yeah. and the fans who's, deserve it. And, 
And without the fans, there is no wrestling. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Whose idea was the Mr. X persona and how did that come about? That was my own Obviously, thing. I know you had to be with the referee. Well, that was okay. my own thing. Uh, there was a wrestler named Rick McGraw. And I'm sure a wrestling buff would know who he was. He was a jobber, but he was uh, in small in stature. And him and I became really close friends. Took me to the gym. We would do independent shows when we had a chance. And we would work with each other. As, you know, with the, and, uh, and he, would, he would help me along. And, of course, Jay Strongbow knew who I was. I was doing that. And he took me under his wing and showed me some stuff, too. And he was my mentor. So between the two of them, Vince McMahon didn't even know who I was when we did TV. He just thought I was another kid off the He didn't know. <laughs> it really, that's the truth. Okay. And then when he found out, I thought that he would, you know, because he's, uh, his father was always, if you were in the office or worked for the office, dead set against anybody being in the ring at the same time. Uh, why, I don't know. But he today, he would be rolling over in his grave if he saw what was happening <laughs> today with Vince and the kids <laughs> and everything else. But, but uh, yeah, so that was uh, the Mr. X thing developed, helped me develop a wrestling knowledge. And these guys worked with me, all these guys uh, uh, back then. Uh, you know, all, uh, they were fantastic in helping me. And they would help me at shows. I would, you know, be Mr. X. I would be doing jobs and stuff like that. And they would help me. And uh, it was great. Everybody was part of it, you know. Part of the family, as it were. Yeah. What was your, which did you prefer doing? Wrestling or refereeing? Or was it? does it even come close, in your opinion? Well, refereeing, I have to say, was important to me in that it was the catalyst for me to become a wrestler without that i wouldn't one the other wouldn't have happened so uh it would it would be a toss-up and then of course uh everything's history from there you know but uh i think it's a toss-up because again like i say and i hate to be repetitive but without one there's not the other and from my point of view for me You touched on on Vince and all the stuff that's going on now. What was your impressions of working with Vince Junior at the time? And was he always a bit kind of? I know he was always there, and but he was he always a bit kind of odd, maybe or on the go all the time, or what? Yes, that guy. If he got three hours sleep a night, it would be a lot of sleep. When he owned that uh, uh, building down in Stanford, Connecticut where he had a studio and stuff like that, do interviews and stuff like that. He was merciless. He would have guys come in, fly them in, get them up at three in the morning, have them over there do, and work them all day and do, do interviews and stuff like that. And he was always up all night. He would be thinking about things and stop and get it done. Yeah, he was, it was, uh, uh, I don't know how he did it. <laughs> I mean, no one could keep up yeah. with him. Yeah. And, and he was, you know, uh, he had an ego, you know, as big as he was, you know. <laughs> but he did, you know, for wrestling, uh, some say he did the wrong thing. Some still hate him for it. And but the result is 
what it is today. And you can take that any way you want to. Uh, yeah. A lot of people feel that I talk to feel that, you know, he kind of ruined the business for everybody. But and other other people say, well, he had to bring it into the 21st century. He's the one who brought it along. And, you know, everybody was making money, top money, big money. So who knows? Yeah. Are you talking about it kind of going more into the entertainment side of things rather than focusing on the wrestling? Uh, well, it had to evolve some way. And uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. And we'll never know if it would have worked uh, without bringing it into the entertainment end of it. Uh, I think we could have yeah. combined it. You know, in my day, it wasn't like it is today where it's all choreographed and you can only say this or that. We All our interviews were off the cuff. We worked with each other. We, we wrestled each other. I mean, and uh, when you come out of that ring at the end of a, a wrestling match, in my day, you were bruised and, and battered and, <laughs> and uh, we did things that uh, aren't done today and not allowed to do, be done today. So the evolution, I, I can see, but now as you can also see that the ratings are going down, people are getting tired of it. And uh, another idea, another, another direction. I don't know if there is one. Yeah, it's going to be a, it's going to be an interesting maybe year ahead to see where it all kind of ends up. But when we touched on the entertainment industry, I suppose like that nearly started like back back in your time as well with guys like Mr. T coming in that I know you kind of worked with as well. What was he yeah. like around the, the the dressing room? He was a, he was all right. He was a good guy. I mean, there was nothing uh, special about him to us. We were all bigger than he was. Uh, I was about the same size as he was, but he was. Uh, uh, to, to make the transition from uh, acting where you get a limousine, you get fed, you know, great meals, you rent five-star hotels, uh, you know, you come and go as you please. If you don't feel like going in, you know, you know, babysat for and all that. When he walked into our world, it wasn't like that. You got your ass on a plane early morning, you went to a gym, you went and got something to eat, you got to the arena, and you did your job, and then the next day you were—he—he he couldn't, uh, in my opinion, he couldn't. Uh, that wasn't for him. It wasn't for him. And uh, he had—we had a—we had, had a little thing that was supposed to happen between him and I, but uh, that never okay. came to fruition because of his—he just couldn't, didn't like the idea of all that. He, uh, how can I say it? He wasn't being pampered like he would be on a, on a set, a, t a television, you know. So that's... Okay. that's the what were you guys supposed to do? I don't know, but I think I was supposed to, maybe a blow-off or something, or I would, he would make a call, I would, you know, uh, disagree with it or whatever. He, I don't know what, yeah. what the exact plan was. Yeah. did Were the guys a bit kind of standoffish backstage about a kind of a Hollywood guy coming in to your world? Yeah, only in that he didn't know how to work, you know, uh, number one. And uh, as I say, uh, we were, my day, we were snug. We, we kept it snug. I mean, you know, and by that, uh, the effort, what that means is uh, we didn't uh, pull a lot of punches, uh, 
you know, we threw you, we pick you up and slam you, yeah. you know, stuff like that. And it, and that it was pretty rough. I uh, for him to do that, you know, again, it wasn't Hollywood. And these guys, mm-hmm. and he didn't know how to work, so they came up with a thing with uh, Bob uh, to uh, box. You know, you have a boxing match. Bob Orton, yeah, with Bob yeah. Orton. Yeah. So that that's yeah. how that ended, because that's all he knew. But again, that was uh, if you watched it, it was kind of a uh, a mess, you know, at a WrestleMania. It yeah. wasn't. It was, yeah. He was yeah. he was scared shit, you know, <laughs> and it wasn't, and it wasn't, yeah, because it wasn't choreographed. He had to do it. It was there was no stunt man or anything else, yeah. and, and I think that was the that yeah. was the direction they went, only to get what they needed to get out of it, you know. That's what. Yeah, that's my yeah. opinion. And that's my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Mario Mancini, when you talk about anybody who steps into a ring, Mar- you know and thinks they know they learn very quickly that you don't know shit. And that includes me. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was, I was, uh, uh, shown what receipts were. I was shown you mess up. This is what's going to happen. And don't bitch. Don't complain. If you don't know what you're doing, stay the hell out of there. So that's how we learn mm-hmm. old school. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, yeah, Mario was saying that Brett that that Brett Hart was the most snug person that he wrestled. Yeah, Brett was snug. Uh, again, old school. You know, when I worked with Brett as Mister X. I worked with his brother, the Blue Bla- when he was a Blue Blazer, Owen, and they were oh, snug. Yeah. And I and I enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed it because I I liked it snug. I worked with uh, George Steele so many times. He liked this. He was rough, and I liked it. Not and, and I gave it back. You know, but some guys, uh, you know, don't touch my hair and don't do this, you know. But George and I, we just we weren't at it. And uh, Brett, the same. And uh, a lot of guys uh, that you wouldn't suspect uh, not to like being snug, as I'm, let's use that word, uh, you would think, oh, he wouldn't care. You know, he's a tough guy, but, you know. Not really, <laughs> you know. They would complain and say, "Yeah," <laughs> and so when you complain, all right, sorry, yep, you get it worse next time. <laughs> mm. So guys, soon learn. Just keep your mouth shut, take your take your lumps, and move on. And you get along better, believe me. Yeah, I heard Hulk Hogan was kind of like that. Was he kind of? Well, you gotta understand, and I often thought. That same thing, but he was driving. He was on top. He was the guy selling out the houses. Yep, selling out the place. If he gets hurt, what happens? The whole thing comes apart. So yes, you protected. If you were smart, you protected Hogan with everything you had, because yeah. he's the guy that's making the money. He's the guy selling out these big buildings. He's the guy that's making. You know, putting bread and butter on your table, feeding your kids, paying your mortgage. You know, you want to end that? No, you don't want to do that. And so he protected himself. Eh. And I agreed with that. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? What was it like being in the company around the time with the 
the steroid trial. Mario's told me a few stories about Vince going crazy and stuff like that. Was that a kind of was that a worrying time for the business? Uh, well, you know, when it first started, steroids weren't illegal. There was no laws prohibiting the use of them. Uh, uh, but when the laws were enacted, and most athletes in most sporting events were, were using them for enhancement off, and, and it was encouraged uh, to use them. Uh, football, all of a baseball, of course, you know all the stories. We weren't the only yeah. ones, but we were we was uh, uh, kind of used as a catalyst, I guess, to bring that stuff under control in the sports world, you know. Uh, mm. I mean, all of us, uh, but, you know, all of us didn't do that. Take the steroids. There are other ways of, of building your muscles. It took longer. Uh, it took a lot of work, etc., to do it. You'd have to be in the gym twice a day as opposed to one, and you have to, you know, take other things, vitamins, nutrition. You know, nutrition was a big thing, and you'd have to study it, you know. But, again, uh, the, the ones that, you know, one day uh, completely transformed, you know, within a couple, you know, a year or so. You could tell that who was doing it, who was. And, but there's a side effects to that, you know, the, the, the irritability, the blow-ups, you know, you're, you're not in your – and I've seen that too, guys that were so nice when they came in, get on, you know, did that shit, and then they mean, nasty, just fly off the handle and stuff like that. I don't know. Uh, and you knew right away to stay away from them, you know. Yeah. But uh, it was a trying time in that, as I say, being put in the spotlight for you for the use when everybody else was using them as well, you know, in other sports, in other sports. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, Vince would <laughs> Vince would go crazy and give everybody tests and stuff like that. And, and uh, and a lot of guys got, you know, suspended, and uh, a lot of guys, you know, never stopped. Uh, they would keep getting suspended, from, and, and that's why. But there were so many of them that they, anybody could take. And that was another thing about in that time. There were a hundred guys waiting to take your place. If you weren't doing your job and you weren't there every night, and you could miss one night, and they'd say, you, you know, they replace you with somebody else, and you'd be a jobber again, you know. That's how vicious it was. So, mm. uh, you know, you can only do that and, and test positive so much, many times, and then you, you're fired, you know. So what was the sense? Oh. Yeah, I mean, really, I mean, sure, you look great and all that stuff, but if you're going to be suspended eventually, what sense did it make? Yeah. There was a lot of pressure, I think, from the – and a lot of jealousy, I think, from outside the wrestling world, particularly in America, in the 80s and 90s. You know, if you think back to – the highlighting of the steroids as you say they were in other sports as well and then you look at the what happened with david schultz and the, and the journalist as well you know trying to do this yeah, undercover yeah. wrestling isn't real kind of stuff you know yes well they don't see people didn't understand you could years ago and i only know this because i've talked to people like lou albano and, and those guys Arnold scolins way, way back in the 50s, when it first started. I mean, you got to give these guys credit. But when you went to Madison Square Garden and two guys were in the ring and they 
one guy would grab a headlock on the other guy for an hour, 45 minutes, and just sit there holding the headlock or, you know, or, or another hold or something like that. So someone uh, came up with the idea to enhance it by uh, letting the headlock go. You put the headlock on me, and, and, and it developed back at, back in the time. Uh, and the jealousy was that we were making millions of dollars, and some yeah. of them are in the other sporting. A lot of people came from other sports to get into that business. You know, they were football players that tried to get in. There were bodybuilders that wanted to be part of it. There were baseball players that wanted to be part, and they couldn't cut it. You know, they wouldn't make. They wouldn't make it. So, uh, yeah, there was a lot of. Uh, but, but if you ran into them, everybody was friends. We were all friends. You know. Uh, yeah. I mean, there would be no, no fighting. A couple of times, maybe you know, someone would mouth off in a bar or something like that. But another athlete, I'm talking about. But we all have respect as athletes for each other. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. One of the fan questions that I got was like, what was Andre the Giant like as a person backstage to be around? Well, I spent, I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I carried three, uh, him around for about five or six years. We traveled together, Andre and I. I was responsible to see that he got to the buildings, he got to the hotel, he got on his plane, he got up in the morning, et cetera. And he ate and he took care of himself. I went to Japan with him. I mean, I, I traveled with him quite a bit. And he was the most humble, uh, big-hearted human being I ever met. He was docile. He was very patient with people unless uh, he was eating and you come up and asked him. And, how, and, and, he, and he didn't like the questions like, well, how does it feel to be that big and this and that, you know. And he, he had his irritability times, and he that's what I would do. I would screen people, and I would go over and say, leave him alone. You know, he's busy. Wait till after, and I'll see what I can do about him getting to talk to you. I can't promise you. But uh, in the dressing room, that was Andre's home away from home. That's the only place he felt comfortable. He was one of the boys. He fit in. No one looked at him as any, anything different, you know. Of course, we all knew he was huge, you know, but that we didn't. Yeah. We treated him like anybody else. And that's where he was most comfortable in the dressing room. And he would go right from the airplane to the building and sit in the dressing room. We'd play cards uh, until, you know, the guy started coming in. And, 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 and his home in, in North Carolina, he had, he had built for him. He had 18-foot ceilings. He had a swimming pool, his bathtub and all that stuff. Everything huge built for him. Yeah, and uh, in the dress room, I, I, you know, one of the best people you'd ever want to meet. He was kind to everybody. Well, he had his, but he had his ways. Uh, and if you, if he didn't like you, you couldn't get him to like you if you gave him a million dollars. If he liked you, <laughs> that was it. You were in, you know. And he happened to like me. We got along. We understood each other. And I took care of him. And, you know, he would take care of me in his own way. You know, and uh, you know, like he, he wouldn't ever let me buy a meal or anything to drink. Or if I needed something, he would take care of it. And uh, and he would get insulted if you went out and ate by yourself. You know, he'd say, what do you do that for, boss? And he'd get mad. He would, you know, he wouldn't talk to you for, and he, he would calm down. But your answer to your question, out of everybody I've met in my in my in my wrestling. 
career is uh, he was the uh, one of the best people I ever met. That's that's the truth. I heard, obviously, as an Irish man as well, he's well able to put away pints of beer. He's in the Guinness Book of Records for it. Yes, uh, but a lot of that is embellished. <laughs> a lot of that is embellished, too. But that's the truth. Yeah. I mean, he, he can do it. But, you know, people say, oh, what he would eat a regular meal. He would sit down and have a meal and a beer or a couple of beers or whatever. And, uh, you know, he wouldn't overdo it uh, all the time. But he could. I mean, he wouldn't be overdoing it. To you and I, would be overdoing it. But to, you know, yeah. his body was, his tank was so big that he could hold a lot. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, but he would eat a normal meal, you know, a normal portion. You know, he might have uh, seconds or something like that. But he, you know, this exaggeration, and he, and he did it to see if he could do it. A lot of times, and you know, he's a kind of a show off too. You know, there was nothing wrong with that. Just a good natured guy, you know. Yeah. yeah, but what's the best piece of the... Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna yeah, I was just gonna say what's the best piece of advice you've got ever in the wrestling business? I, I told you that at the outset about giving a hundred percent uh respect. When you walked in a dress room, you shook everybody's hand. I don't give a shit if you saw them four hours ago. You walked in, you started with the oldest, you, hello, just a nice handshake, and they shake your hand. If they came in, they'd do the same thing. You'd stand up and shake their hand, respect. And uh, that was the, uh, the uh, main thing. When you ran into someone who had set the bar for you, people who came before you, out, out, utmost respect. And that's the main thing. Today, I've walked into dress rooms. People don't even say hi to each other. I've walked into dress rooms where... I've said hello and they've said hi. You, you know, they don't even know who you are. They don't care. But even if you don't know who the person is, you shake their hand. And, and you, today it's gone. I heard they had their own little handshake now and their own little thing, and and that's all right. You know, it's their, <laughs> it's their world now. But uh, I always, if I have a, a talk uh, or a speech or I talk in front of a group of wrestlers, sometimes I go to independent shows. And they invite me just to talk to the, the, the kids. And I say that I give them that speech, respect everyone. And someone walks in the dress room. I don't care if you know them or not. You get up. Yes, sir. No, sir. Thank you, sir. Pleasure to meet you, sir. You know, I'm so-and-so. And, and that goes a long way. What would it, what would it mean to you? And would you like to go into the WWE hall of fame at some point? Well, I've I've always wondered about that, and I've and I've talked to people about it. There is no Hall of Fame. Where is it? <laughs> no, but <laughs> I have uh, a close personal friend of mine, and everybody knows who I'm going to talk about. Howard Finkel, the announcer, the world famous announcer. Him and I were best of friends. We started out in the same arena, New Haven Coliseum. He started out as a, a announcer, and I started out as a referee the same night. But, but that's another wow. story. And uh, he used to talk to me about the Hall of Fame and it, when it was in its infancy. And he said, eventually, everybody will be in the Hall of Fame. But now what's happened is they won't or don't want to spend a lot of money to bring, like, myself in, 
a couple of my family members put me up and all that stuff. They'll wait till you pass on across, and then they'll put you in posthumously, and it won't cost them. Now, that's uh, a harsh thing to say. That's a harsh thing to say, but you look at who's being inducted, and you see that there are a lot of people who aren't with us no more that are being inducted, and they're using the term, you know, uh, they're trying to make it seem like, wow, you know, we missed them, you know, we should have done it before, but you know, I know the truth, and you know the truth. It's a cost-effectiveness. And that's all this business is about now is money. That's well, my opinion. You, you, yeah. Well, I, I never heard someone with that opinion before, but uh, yeah, that's that's crazy. You think even like I suppose like how do rich people get rich? They, right. they make tough decisions and they just try to save at every every inch or every inch they can. But um, so that's that's a no. Then basically, anyway, you, you, it doesn't yeah, well, interest you or. Well, it, it, one way or the other, you know, they can put me in as a referee. They can put me in with the Hot Foundation. They can put me in as Dangerous Danny Davis. So there are options. Look at Earl Hebner. Look at Dave Hebner, who just crossed over, you know, uh, who left us last year. Uh, I don't get it. I don't get it. And that is it. So that's my answer. You know, and uh, I could be wrong. But that's the way I feel. But I've been in this business, that, around that business for a long time, my friend. And I can see a lot of yeah. things that people don't, you know. And a lot of people don't want to believe that. But I think that's true. Yeah. Do you watch it at all these days? Or how do you consume wrestling? Like, what way is it in your life? Well, I watch. The, the, the thing about it with me is I watch uh, very little, if any. But what I did... A uh, couple years ago, maybe four years ago, I watched it, and I, you know, said, "Well, you know, it's, uh, the kids, but they're pushing the same people." And they, and then three years later, I turned the TV on. It's the same people with a different image. <laughs> I said, "They're the same yeah. guys," and they keep re- rehashing them and rehashing them. And the other day, I turned it on, and they're still there. The same guys being put over and everything else. John Cena. I mean, you know, I love everybody. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, John Cena, you know, <laughs> and they're still putting him over. I mean, what the? So is it business? Is he drawing? Is he still making money for him? I don't know. But nothing's changed. The names have changed, but everything's the same, yeah. you know. And that's what hurt me because, you know, but where else can they go, really? You know, and. and yeah. And, and, you know, what we start, talked about at the beginning, the sacrifices and stuff, go home. Live your life with your family. You know, you've earned, you know, the, the money's a uh, hundred times what we were making, maybe a thousand times what we were making back when. And uh, you've made your money. You're rich. You're doing well. Go home and enjoy the rest of your life. Find something else to do. You know, and that's what I also what I tell kids today. Always find an out. Have an out. Have something else to do. And I did. You know, I, I got my, when I was wrestling, I got my uh, CDL license, Class A. I got my hazmat. I got my uh, license to operate machinery, you know, heavy equipment and all that stuff when, on my days off. And when I quit, I had somewhere to go, you know. Mm-hmm. And that's the problems. And Vince, and I use a quote from Vince McMahon, when they fall from grace, they're lost. 
and that's why they turn into alcoholism, you know, to alcohol and drugs and stuff like that because they they have nothing else. So I always tell a younger person who wants to be a wrestler, fine. If you want to be a wrestler and you make it, that's good. But always have something else to do when you leave. That's yeah. lucrative. In, yeah. In, uh, in 1989, we'll say, when you left <clears throat> the Hart Foundation, then trans- transitioned back into a regular kind of referee, did you have any kind of worries at that time that you could be let go because they changed you from say a character just into a regular referee was that ever in your mind is that why you were doing those training courses and stuff i left i left and if you read my book the the reason is in that book and i I don't want to give it away because it's a good part of the book but i left okay i knew see i was in the business long enough to know that as i'm saying to you there's going to be a beginning and everybody can't wait to get that 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 break but when, as soon as you get that break, back in them days, you peaked and then you went out. And that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. And everybody understood that because there were so many angles and so many things. People waited in line. So I knew that there was going to be a beginning. And it goes back to my what we talked about earlier. I had a dream. I lived that dream. Now I have other dreams that I want to do in my life. And them dreams are still mine, and I still want to achieve them. So when I left, I knew what I was going to do. And the first thing I did is I went to a farm and I was cleaning up behind cattle, milking cows for $8 an hour. And I was cleaning manure and I was spreading manure. And it got me back into the reality of life for me. And then I got a job with with sewer and water department and I, I drove a truck and I built myself up and I had all these dreams and, and I've so far I've written a book when I was home and I've uh, achieved a lot of things in my life which will be in the next chapter of my book but uh, yeah I've done what I wanted to do and people are amazed that I keep st- still keep doing things that uh, other people just dream about and that's that's a fact so I had no what's- no hesitation about leaving wrestling. Yeah. What's next on your to-do list then? Well, uh, that's going to be a surprise. <laughs> no, in reality, okay. in reality, uh, and I've never told anybody this. In reality, I have a Native American background, and uh, I I have gone to and I'm part of two nations, Native American nations. I'm a sub chief in one and i am a part of another and uh so i've gone back kind of my native american roots and uh i am going to achieve good things there too so that's what i'm working on now and there'll be more about that later on yeah well i i I live you know i did what i had to do and i'm going to do more before i you know cross over and hopefully i can live a leave uh, a legacy that everybody and people would just be amazed at what what you can do when you when you have a dream and you want to achieve it so we're going right around the circle here (laughs) yeah that is and we're right at the end now so we're just gonna we're just gonna flash up the book again here all right that book don't forget order on dangerousdannydavis.com 
And I'd like to have everybody like me on Facebook at Danny Davis. And that would be a great thing. I love to talk to people about old-time wrestling and just meet new people. Yeah, and of course, people can get the masks there as well and autograph masks by yourself. Pictures, yes. Danny, it was a pleasure to have you on the show today, man, and thank you My so French, much. My friend, Mario Mancini was, was right. <laughs> You're the shits. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, my friend, thank you very much. Keep in touch, please. Cheers, man. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. <laughs>